0: Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio Public Domain Video Theater. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. Send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. We have another episode of Dragnet today. This is from Season 2, and it's Episode 26. The original air date was... May the 7th 1953. The episode title is The Big Frank and it was based on a radio episode of Dragnet The Big Ben which aired March the 15th of
1: 1951.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is the city. Over two million people, almost a million of them work. Some of them work in factories. Some of them work in stores. Most of them work hard for a living. A few of them try to take things the easy way. That's why I have a job. I'm a cop. It was Monday, July 9th. We were working the day watch out of robbery division. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. A man had been pulled from his car, been beaten, and robbed. His car had been stolen. The criminal had made good his escape. We had to find him.
3: Hollywood. That'll be the yardage department. Yes, ma'am, I'll connect you. Yes, sir, can I help
2: you? We're police officers, ma'am. Yes, sir. Like to see one of your employees, a Harvey Kimbrough?
3: Just a moment, I'll page him for you.
2: Thanks very much. Got a match, Frank? Yeah, sure, Joe, here. Thank you. You know, when I was a kid, I never could figure out what that was. What's that? The auto call. Calls employees to the telephone. Rings all over the store. Yeah. Office. Yes, Mr.
3: Kimbrough. There are two policemen waiting to see you on the eighth floor.
2: Thank you, please.
3: All right. No. That was oh, Mr. Okay. Kimbrough. He's on his way out. Thank,
2: Thank you very much. Did I give you the crime report on this thing? No, I think you kept it, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I got it. Hey, you want one of these, Joe? What are those? Pepto-Pals. Good, try
3: them.
2: What are they for? Mm-hmm. Coat the stomach. Real good for stomachache. Yeah, but I haven't got a stomachache. Oh. Hey, Joe, I sure like that Ann Baker. Yeah. Of course, you know me. I like to right off the first time I saw her down at that department store. Yeah, she's a nice girl. Well, now you can begin to think about settling down, huh, Joe? You know, like Faye and me. Gonna get yourself a little house, start sinking those roots, Joe. You know, they're putting up a lot of nice tract houses these days. Did you think maybe you're rushing a little bit? I just met her. How old are you, Joe? Thirty two. Yeah. Yeah, well, how old were you when you got married? Thirty five, but I feel I waited too long, Joe. I don't want that to happen to you. Well, according to your figures, I still have three years to go. Yeah, but Anne's such a pretty girl. You could do a lot worse. I just don't want you to forget about it. Not a chance with you were around these gentlemen here,
3: Stella? Yes, that's right.
2: Are you Harvey Kimbrough? Yes, sir. What if we could step over here and talk, please? Yes, sir.
3: I sure appreciate you people coming over here. I don't like to take time off of my work. It's pretty tough on my partners, Clive and Warren.
2: Yes, sir, we understand.
3: A janitor working in a big store like this keeps you hopping. You haven't got any idea
2: who the hold-up man is yet, have you? No, sir, we haven't. We'd like to get a little more information on what happened. Did you talk to the
3: two officers in the police car?
2: Yes, we did, but it's customary for us to make a follow-up for any additional information.
3: You fellas are plainclothesmen, is that it?
2: Yeah, we're from Central Robbery. Oh, I see. (laughs) Well, I
3: never knew I'd get this much service. wonder if you'd mind going over it again for us, Mr. Kimbrough. Maybe something you didn't think of when the other officers talked to you? I believe I told them everything. I was on the way down to work this morning, about 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. You live out in Alhambra? Yes, sir, that's right. I, I take the freeway in.
2: It was on Commercial Street that you were held up, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Commercial,
3: right near Alameda, almost to the corner. where they're tearing those big buildings down. Man flagged me down and looked like his car was stalled. Yes, sir. I always make it a habit to stop when I see somebody in trouble. I know how it is this time in the morning, no gas stations open... Figured maybe the fellow needed to shove or something.
2: So you stopped to get him a hand, is that right?
3: Well, that's what I had in mind. I'd more than stopped the car, and he came over, pointed a gun at me, and told me to get out. What'd you do? Well, I asked the fellow what do you want. I told him I didn't have any money. I told him I was in the way to get on to my work.
2: What'd he say to that?
3: He didn't say anything. Just opened the car door, grabbed him by the arm, pulled me out.
2: I wasn't prepared for it, and I kind of fell into the street. Well, now, your car is a blue 1948 Dodge sedan. Uh, right rear fender damage, is that correct?
3: Yes, that's right. Sure hope you get that thief. My car, too. Awful hard to get around Los Angeles without a car.
2: Well, we'll do our best.
3: Took my wallet from me. All the money I had. $14. Then he said, don't bother to get up. Stay right there for five minutes after I leave. And he bent down and he hit me in the face. What oh, did he hit you with? Uh, with his fist. Yeah. Hit me right here. See? You can see the cut here, right? In the card going up here, see? Yeah. Bled pretty heavy.
2: Yeah, that's a nasty cut.
3: It's better now. The men who came in the ambulance, they put something on it. It'll be all right. Well, did he knock you out when he hit you? Oh, no. No, I saw him get in my car, and then the car was parked up ahead took off, and this man who held me up, he followed in my car. Did you try to locate a phone, call for help? I didn't have to. This Mr. Ferguson pulled up and stopped right away, and then the officer came. Besides, I figured I'd better do what I was told. How's that? I was afraid. I was going to wait five minutes. (laughs)
2: Frank and I left the department store, picked up our car in the parking lot next door, and drove out to the San Fernando Valley, the 800 block on Satakoy Avenue. A card on the front door told us we could find Sidney Ferguson in the garage.
1: Boy, I this, Joe.
2: Yeah. Looking for something? Yes, sir. We're looking for a Sidney Ferguson.
1: Surely surely I'm Sidney Ferguson. Police officers, Mr. Ferguson. Oh, about that holdup this morning down on Commercial Street? Yes, sir.
2: This is my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. Oh.
1: Happy to know you. Hi. Oh, excuse my wet hand. I've been cleaning out my tanks. Sure. You fellas work out of the city hall? Yes, we do. Uh, you wouldn't have to know a John O'Grady down there in narcotics division. Went to high school with John.
2: No, I don't believe I know him, right?
1: O'Grady? Yeah.
2: Tall fella, kind of blonde, wavy hair? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Good looking fella. Yeah,
1: I think I've seen him around. Good friend of mine. Say, wasn't that a shame this morning, that Kimro fellow?
2: Yeah, it was a rough one. Now, the reason we came out to see you is we thought maybe you could give us some additional information on it. Oh. I'll be glad to give you all the help I can. I'd like to see you get that hold-up man. You mind giving us a rundown on what happened this morning? No, not at all. Uh,
1: see, um, it was about 5 o'clock this morning. I'm not usually up that time of the morning, but I was on my way back from Monterey Park. I generally try to make it down there once or twice a week. I get down to see Bruce Duffy and the queerest friend of mine I have down there. We swap fish. Yes, sir. Well, I was on my way back coming down Commercial Street when I saw this fellow sitting on the side of the curb. It looked like he was hurt to me. I see. Now, I wouldn't have noticed, probably. It was pretty dark, but those two cars pulled out, you know. One right after the other seemed to be in a big hurry. And you pulled up to give Kimbrough a hand? Yeah, I did. Of course, when I got close enough, I could see the guy had been kicking the teeth. He was bleeding pretty bad. I offered to give him a hand, take him to the hospital, but he said he didn't want to be late for work.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Well, after the officers came and talked to him and the ambulance men treated him, I drove him up to
2: Stacy's Hollywood. I dropped him off there. That's where it works, you know. Yeah. The report says that you had the license number on the getaway car, but you couldn't find the paper you'd written it on when the officers interviewed you. Is that right? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I did. Yeah, if that doesn't beat them all. What's that? Well, I had the piece of paper a few minutes before the officers got there. I <laughs> guess I was more rattled than that Kimbrough fella. And when I got home here this morning, there was a slip of paper right on the floor of my car. A uh, little bit of a break, isn't it?
2: Yes, sir, it is.
1: Sure got a lot of fish. <laughs> yeah, it's my hobby, raising them. Oh, sure. Let's see, uh, where did I put that piece of paper? I, I really wrote it down, believe me. I I just misplaced it somewhere here. I've been trying to get rid of some of the algae off the glass of my tanks. Hey, Joe. Look at this. Gee, did you ever see anything prettier in your life? Yeah. How'd you fellas really like to see something you haven't seen before? What's that? Take a look in this tank here. Aplochromus multicolor. That's a scientific name. Commonly known as the Egyptian mouth breeder. Is that a fact? That's a little female there. See? Sure. She's one of the most sacrificing mothers in aquarium history. One of the strangest, too. How's that? Well, she lays her eggs in a small depression in the sand down there at the bottom of the tank. How many eggs would that be? Usually 80 to 90. Now, here's the strange part. As the eggs are fertilized, she scoops them up into her mouth. She eats them. Oh, no. They remain in her mouth while they hatch. How long does that take? Over 14 days. How does she eat? That's just it. She doesn't. She doesn't touch food in any form for this two-week period. Seems to just waste away. What happens then? Finally, the eggs hatch after 14 days and little fry comes swimming out of the mother's mouth. Yeah. And while the fry are growing up, at first you can hardly see them, they're so tiny. While they're growing up, if anything frightens them, quick as a flash, back in the mother's mouth. Well, that's Certainly certainly amazing. Huh, Joe? Yeah. Is this as big as they ever get? Yes, sir. One inch to an inch and a half. Hard to believe. Well, the betters are almost as strange. Male builds a bubble nest up here on the surface. Say, isn't that funny? Here's that paper. Huh? The one with the license number on it. What if
2: I could see that, please?
1: Oh, sure, here you are. Thank you. Pretty sure of this number, Mr. Ferguson? Yes, sir, I am. I got a good look at it.
2: Well, thank you very much.
1: Oh, not at all. Wish you could spend a little time. Seem kind of interested in tropical fish. Well, yes, sir, I'd like to sometime. Oh, bye. 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 Oh, say, Officer Smith. Yeah. Uh, just a minute. Say, I almost forgot. Yeah. In about five weeks from now. Yeah. How'd you like a nice pair of baby Egyptian mouth readers?
2: 10.45 a.m., Frank and I got in the car and headed back toward town. I called communications and had them check the license number Ferguson gave us through DMV. They called back and told us the car was a 1949 Chevrolet four-door sedan. The registered owner was a Jack B. Grant, 19112 Beacon Street in the southwest part of Los Angeles. It was a large old-fashioned residence that had been converted into a rooming house. We checked with the landlady, a Mrs. Ida Fisher. How do you doing, man? Police officers, do you happen to have a Jack Grant registered here?
3: Yes, he's been with me here about eight months, but he's not in now.
2: What time did Grant leave this morning, Mrs. Fisher?
3: Well, it was pretty early. Must have been around 4 a.m. when I heard him go out came back in again this morning about 8 o'clock, parked his car, then he drove off with some other man.
2: Would you have to know who the other man was? No,
3: I wouldn't. I just saw him drive off.
2: Where does Grant park his car, ma'am?
3: Around the back in the garage.
2: Mind if we take a look at it? No,
3: that's all right. Just go on back there, down the drive.
2: Right. Thank you very much. Now, there's
3: two cars parked there. The blackboard belongs to Mr. Spencer. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. And the 1949 Chevrolet. That's Mr. Burns.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, ma'am. We checked the car and the license number. It matched the description given us by the victim Harvey Kimbrough and the witness Sidney Ferguson. Together with Mrs. Fisher, we checked Jack Grant's room. We found nothing of importance. His clothing and personal effects were all there. Nothing to indicate that he wouldn't be back. We told the landlady that we were placing the house under surveillance and if Grant should return, not to say that we'd been there. She agreed and offered further assistance. She said she'd signal us by raising and lowering her front window curtain when Grant returned. (laughs) We parked down the street, called the office, and advised them we were on stakeout. Two men were sent out, and they covered the back entrance. Frank and I covered the front. By 6 o'clock that night, Grant had failed to show. 9 p.m., still nothing. 11 p.m. What time did they say that relief team was coming out? Around 11 sometime. Chandler and Ricketts, huh? I don't know. I guess so. Oh, boy, I'm stiff. Feels like needles all over my body. It's been about 12 hours, hasn't it? Yeah, just about just like driving to San Francisco, you know. Faye makes me drive all the way, and when I get out at the other end, I'm stiff as a board. Yeah. There's a car pulling up down there. Oh yeah. You see what is? it is? Yeah. Yeah, that's Ricketts. Friday. Hi, Jack. Who's this you got with you? Same guy you borrowed the candy bar from two weeks ago. How about it? I'm hungry. Glad you reminded me that bar was pretty stale. As soon as I find one to match it, I'll pay you back. It's the house over there, huh? Yeah, Jack. The green and white one. No sign of him at all, huh? No, nothing. Well, no? you guys want to take off? Yeah. I guess you can make out all right, Rick. You've got Chandler with you. Friday, I feel sorry for you drawing this guy for a partner. Well, after seven years, he kind of grows on you. I'd like to check out with Alanity before we take off. Her name's Ida Fisher, Jack. Right, Joe. Let's go, Joe. Right. Go. See you later, Jack. Say hello to Chandler. Right, Frank. Good night. Good night. That Ricketts sure is a rib staker. Light's still on in the living room because she's sweating it out with us.
3: Yes, Sergeant Friday? Sorry to bother you again, ma'am. Well, that's all right. Mr. Grant still hasn't come in.
2: I wonder if it'd be all right if we took another look at his room
3: i don't
2: see why I am. Mr. Grant, what are you doing? Mr. Grant! Mr. Grant, out the back! Frank, Frank, you all right? I didn't know he had a gun. He made me hide in Lady, made will me. you call an ambulance, please? He's not dead, is he? Lady, will you call that ambulance? Hurry. Monday, July 9th, 11.28 p.m., the ambulance arrived and Frank was taken to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. His condition was critical. Despite the fact that the other men on stakeout at the house had closed in as quickly as possible, Jack Grant somehow had succeeded in jumping out a side window and making good his escape through a maze of neighboring backyards. The men at the scene began a search of the immediate area. I called in and communications got out a broadcast and an APB. A special detail of men and cruiser cars was rushed to the scene and a blockade was thrown up around the area. Then I called Ann Baker and asked her to meet me at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. I stayed on and worked with Ricketts and Chandler. Under questioning, the landlady, Mrs. Fisher, broke down and admitted that Grant had given her $10 to keep his presence in the house a secret. She told us that when we'd searched the suspect's room earlier, he had hidden in the cellar. She was taken into custody. 1.30 a.m. I got a relief and I went downtown to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, the p ward. When I got there, Ann Baker was waiting in the hall. How is he?
1: I don't know. They won't let anyone in to see him. I brought him a carton of cigarettes.
2: So did I. If anything happens to him, Ann, I don't know what I'm gonna do.
3: He'll be all right, Joe. I know he will.
2: It was nice of you to come down and stand by.
3: That's all right. It was the least I could do.
2: Hi, Doctor. Friday. We removed one slug from the upper thoracic region, another one from his left shoulder. Looked like they could have been forty five caliber. Bit of marked for evidence. How's he doing? As well as could be expected. What does that mean? Hard to tell. Depends on how it goes the next four hours. Can I go in and see him? No, we're not admitting anyone in there. Under sedatives lost quite a bit of blood pretty weak. Do you need anybody for transfusions? No, no, it's all taken care of. Have uh, his relatives been notified? Yes, sir. His wife and kids are visiting back in Sioux Falls. I send him a wire, they'll break the news to her. Yeah, well, that's about all we can do for now. I wonder if I just couldn't sneak in and leave this carton of cigarettes for him. Well, it's gonna be some time before Officer Smith can use them. Just leave them the nurse to take care of him. Was there anything I can get for him? Anything he needs? No, we're doing everything we can for him. You don't think I could just look in for a minute? No, I'm sorry. Well, there must be something I can do. You got a good prayer handy? 2 a.m. I left Georgia Street Receiving Hospital and drove back to the scene of the shooting. The search for the suspect, Jack Grant, was still going on. The neighborhood was checked and rechecked. Everything possible was done to find the man who shot down Officer Frank Smith. It's been said that a police department goes all out, doubles its efforts to run down a criminal who attacks a police officer. Well, it's true, but most people aren't aware of the reason. Certain elements would like you to believe that the police officer places the safety of his fellow officers above that of the citizen. This isn't true. His first day at the academy, the cadet peace officers taught this basic fact. If a criminal would shoot down the armed police officer, he wouldn't hesitate to shoot down the unarmed citizen. 3 a.m., I finally located Lieutenant Jack Ricketts at the corner of Coronado and Beacon Streets, seven blocks from the scene of the shooting. How is he? Not too good. Depends on the next four hours. What are his chances? I didn't ask. Now, we're not getting any place here. Nothing at all? Huh? Nothing. Something's got to break. Chandler's still downtown. They're coming for Grant's package down at the I bureau. They come up with anything? Nothing. Not since the last time I checked, about 40 minutes ago. Any ideas? Fresh out. You? Well, he couldn't have gotten far. Not this soon, he couldn't. Bus depots, train terminals, airports all covered. The highway patrol's been alerted. Nothing so far. But he's got to be someplace close, Jack. He's got to be. Yeah, I think he's sold up in town, too. But where? Yeah. He's in a jam. He's had good publicity. A lot of his friends are going to hide that welcome mat. Maybe that narrows it down a little. Maybe. Let's find him. a.m., Jack Ricketts and I got back to the city hall. We went directly to the I-Bureau. Chandler and Powers had sifted through Jack Grant's package. They'd drawn up a list of all of Grant's known friends and associates. There were 22 names on the list. Three of them were in San Quentin Penitentiary. Two of them were doing time at the county work farm. That left 17 names on the list. Further checking showed that five of them had out-of-state addresses. Twelve names. The list was split down the middle. Ricketts and I took six names. Chandler and Powers, six. Of the 12, with the exception of one, all names had appeared on the police blotter in the past eight years. Raymond Weller, Peter Denton, Horace Phillips, Henry Breen. Ricketts and I checked them. Some were in bed. Some hadn't been to bed. We were reasonably sure that none of them knew the whereabouts of the suspect. I called Georgia Street to find out about Frank. They told me no change in his condition. 4.55 a.m. After this, we get a quick bite to eat. Huh? You don't look so good. Not hungry. What's this one's name? Anthony Baxter, room twenty-three. Now, here we are. Yeah, police officers. You, Anthony Baxter? Yeah. I want to talk to you? out now. To get a guy out of bed. You always sleep with your clothes on. Get back in the room what's going on. You know what, Jack Grant? Why? You a friend of Jack Grant's? Why? Jack Grant, a friend of yours? I'm not going to tell you anything until I know why. You want to talk here or downtown? I've got a right to know what it's about. Get your hat and coat. You just want to know if I know Jackie Grant, is that all? You want to get that hat and coat? I know Grant. Where is he? I don't want to get mixed up in anything. You're mixed up in it already. You know him. That's the trouble with you guys. Guy tries to walk the and now, and you guys come around and try to put him in a corner. Where's Grant? I've been in jail and I did my time. You haven't got anything on me. Baxter, let's get this straight. We're not after you. We want Grant. We didn't come up here to push you around. We don't want you to push us around. Now where is he? I'm going to tell you something. I don't like being talked to this way and I'm not going to stand for it. I got certain rights and I'm going to stand on him. Now you listen to me. A friend of mine's lying in the hospital because of your pal Jack Grant. He put two bullets in him. Now I'm tired and I'm out of patience. Where is he? Where is he?
1: All right, Joe. It's all right. Yeah. So, last time around, Baxter. Tell us where Grant is. Come on, quick.
2: Hotel Filbert, room 605. All right, let's go downtown. What for? I haven't done anything. I've already told you everything I know. That's right. We don't want you to tell anybody else. 5.27 a.m. We located the Filbert Hotel on North Crocker Street. On the way over, we called in and told them what we'd found. Chandler and Powers met us outside the hotel. They took up their position. Ricketts and I checked with the desk clerk and confirmed that the suspect was in room 605. He was registered under an alias. We took the elevator to the sixth floor. Room 605 was directly across from the elevator. Yeah, what is it, police he officer? Off, your hand out. I wouldn't want to shoot you. Hand behind your head. All right, back. 42 a.m. Ricketts and Chandler took the suspect into custody. It was 6.03 a.m. when I got to the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, a P.N.F. ward. Ann was still waiting. Sergeant? Hi, Doc. How is he? You can go in. Don't stay too long. All right. Thank you. All right. You look all in.
3: No, I'm all right. You want me to go with you? Yeah, would you? Sure. Sure.
2: take it easy a few days. You know, rest done. Get well. Yeah. I'll be well in a few days. Sure you will. Just a little rest. Hey, Joe, have you given any more thought to what I was talking to you about yesterday? What? Huh? You know, about you and Ann. You don't need any rest. Huh? You're Well, <laughs> On November 7th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California in and for the County of Los Angeles. The suspect was tried and convicted on one count of assault to commit murder. He and his accomplice were convicted on four counts of first-degree robbery. Assault to commit murder is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary from one to 14 years. First-degree robbery by imprisonment in the state penitentiary from five years to life. The landlady, Ida Fisher, was placed on probation.
0: Welcome back. Both Joe and Joe's girlfriend having the idea that while Frank was on death's doorstep, what he would want Is a carton of cigarettes. A reminder, I guess, that this program was sponsored by Chesterfield. Now, I mentioned that this episode, like many of the TV episodes of Dragnet, was actually originally a radio program. And the biggest difference in the radio version of this story is that instead of Joe's partner being shot, Joe himself was shot in the Big Ben with Ben Romero, taking over the narration for the rest of the episode. And all of the lines that were given to Joe up until the final scene in the hospital room were actually originally written for Ben Romero. I think the big reason for the change is the difference in the characters. It was pretty easy the way that Ben Romero was characterized to imagine Ben setting out in a hard-boiled campaign to catch the killer. In fact, many of Friday's lines sounded better with uh, Ben Romero. With Frank Smith, it's really hard to imagine him doing that. Particularly grabbing somebody by a shirt collar just doesn't really fit the style of that character. So naturally, writing a story that would make sense, uh, it it worked to reverse it given the change in the partners. Of course, there are other attributes other than being able to uh, go on a hard-boiled crusade that can make a partner appealing. And you, you kind of see this balancing between... Frank and Joe, particularly in that scene with The Witness, Toby hobby was tropical fish. From that scene, you get an idea of how many people came to believe that Joe Friday said just the facts, ma'am. He didn't say just the facts, but that was his focus. Friday was polite, but clearly he wanted to see things get back on track. There was even a line where Frank asked him, have you ever seen anything so beautiful? And Joe said, yeah, which indicated that he wasn't really paying attention so much as he was just trying to be polite until they could get back on subject. Frank Smith, on the other hand, really does take an interest in this man and his hobby. And that helps put him at ease, which helps him actually end up finding the piece of paper. And that balance of personalities can definitely be helpful because some people just get nervous around investigators and police. And if you've got the ability to put people at ease, it's really helpful, as this episode illustrated before we move on from the f- scene with the fish that was beautifully shot it's just a very visually interesting scene that you don't always see in television the way they frame the actors' uh, faces with the fish tank another scene far more serious was the shooting and i have to admit I really appreciate that one and the power of that is the power of realism which Dragnet so often had. Because in many ways, it comes just really suddenly. The first time I saw it, I was utterly confused by it. Which I think gives you the feeling of what often happens when uh, someone uh, near you has been shot. You don't get all the details or drama that uh, scripted television often goes for. It's all very quick, and all of a sudden, in a few short seconds, Frank Smith is down on the ground and fighting for his life. Overall, the TV episode uh, does help Friday's uh, character in showing just a different side and how much he cares about his partner. Even though, as I said, most of the lines after the shooting, were written for Ben Romero. There are a couple of things in the episode that uh, could be concerns. One is the line that they left in from the radio script about them uh, being partners for seven years, which made more sense with Ben Romero, not so much with Frank Smith. But continuity has always been pretty loose in dragnet. You also could take issue with friday going out of his way to make the point about how when police are searching for someone who has shot a police officer they're not just acting out of personal motives they're acting because of public concern and then you have this whole scene where he grabs the guy by the shirt and says hey this person shot my friend But I don't think there's a big contradiction at all, though. It just points to the fact that whatever the ideal, we have, the human element does come in there somewhere or another. Overall, this was a pretty good episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. And join us in a couple weeks for another video theater. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow our Old Time Radio uh, podcast, Great Detectives of Old Time Radio at greatdetectives.net. But from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.